Welcome to Multiversal Q. I'm Luke. I'm Devin. And we're your guide to the comic book multiverse. Now in podcast form for our one millionth episode. By which we mean episode 100. Which By which we mean like episode like 213 or something. Yeah, we've done a lot of... uh episodes numbering means nothing but uh i was going to be like oh yeah no episode 100 is going to be something maybe not too special and then chris sims of uh war rocket ajax and x-men 92 was like no you should do it as your one millionth episode and it should be dc one million i was like okay and then i slowly realized how much work it would be to cover so we kept getting delayed, and even uh, Journey into Misery did it as an episode before us, though they did it for like 116, so I think we're more thematically appropriate for doing it for our 100th numbered episode. Agreed, though. My What I was going to do would have been like way quicker than yours. Batman Year 100? Oh, no, I was going to do the Marvel Year 100 anniversary thing. Oh, was that those, like, five one-shots? Yeah. Which some of them were good, and some of them were not. Yeah, well, we've been doing, like, a DC streak for a while, so maybe we'll do that next. But we also haven't done, like, a big episode this year. Like, we just got done with Memorial Day, and I was seeing all my reminders of, oh, yeah, last year this was when we were getting over doing Age of Apocalypse, which... Oh, true, we already did 2099 this year. But that wasn't Age of Apocalypse big. Like, I don't know if we can handle Age of Apocalypse big again. No, no, that took a lot of time and resources and... And also, voices like, and wrangling. And having a story that really fit all together really well. Well, there's that too. Like, DC 1 million, about half of the stuff is very important, and the other half is just like, oh, yeah, we, we just wanted a fit in issues with these characters basically Mm -hmm. but uh we are going to be covering one two three four five six seven eight nine issues in this first episode later on this week we'll have another one covering one two three four five six seven eight nine more episodes plus we've got a crossover with thor the lightning and the thunder coming up and then we've got two more episodes about the main DC 1 million. And then one more wrapping up with all the stuff that came after. And then it's Heroes Con weekend. And uh, I'll be spending a bunch of money getting sketches again. So make sure to get your sketch ideas in. But thank you for joining us for our 1 millionth episode. As usual, we have gotten off to a rambly start. But are you ready for this, Devin? Let's do it. So, DC 1 Million was conceived by Grant Morrison, and... Oh man, I'm already showing how unprepared I am for this. Uh, DC 1 Million. Grant Uh, Morrison, the love of Luke's life. He is Bay. Uh, This was set up in 1998, and the idea was that the stories were going to be set when the one millionth issue of Action Comics would be published if they maintained a regular printing schedule, which would be year 85,201. 
and uh, like that that would be impossible for them to keep publishing that many but they got 34 series at the time to put out one shots all of them are included except for one more issue uh, except for one issue that we didn't have access to which is young heroes in love which is one of those like really weird 18 issue comics that was never really followed up on all that oh, much. Yeah, yeah. so we won't be covering that one as a result because it's not in the big old omnibus that i've got even though it's got some of the other weird ones in there and it isn't in the digital copies that i caught but, uh, you can probably find it in a dollar bin somewhere if you look hard enough. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Like, I unfortunately don't see many people hunting that down. But the first issue we are going to be covering is not a uh, DC 1 million issue, as in an issue of the actual crossover. It is Kronos 1 million, which was written by John Francis Moore with pencils by J.H. Williams III with Mick Gray and Ken Brusenak on the inks, letters by Mike Danza, and colors by Ali Morales. And Kronos was another one of those weird uh, limited series that came out. That They are like, oh, well, you know, it would make a lot of sense to have this character who is a time traveler show up in this event about a million years in the future in comics and all that sort of stuff. And did you watch Legends of Tomorrow? Devin? I watched like the first half of the first season. Oh yeah, Chronos, uh, the uh, bad guy in that is loosely based on this guy, and I say loosely because it's like you also have the Wave Rider who, which is the ship, but in the comics it's a dude. But Chronos wasn't in that first season. Yeah, he was. Well, they I they're going up against Savage, Fred Savage. He he appears in like the second half of it. He's like oh, a I didn't make it there. Oh okay. Also, you can buy that Young Heroes in Love for a quarter off of eBay. eBay! Uh, anyways, it is the year 85, 2069, and John Fox, who is one of the many flashes from the future, is watching over Earth while Superman is out. And Lois, the logistical overseer, integrated system informs him that the Tesseract gates are malfunctioning. And when he gets there, he finds out that somebody knocked out everybody who was working the gates. Before he can do something, though, he is frozen by Kronos, who is Walker Gabriel, a villain who steals John Fox's time gauntlets and then uses his natural speed energy that Fox had gathered to allow him to travel through time, and Kronos disappears. And as a side note, Kronos was actually the second Kronos and was a time-traveling anti-hero who used research from the first Kronos, who, if you watched like uh, Justice League, the animated series... He was that time traveler, pretty much, that he stole his uh, tech from. Nice. Yeah, this is going to be one of those episodes where I have to make a lot of asides, because I figure if I had to look something up, Devin, you probably have no idea, and our audience probably has even less of an idea. It's true. Mm -hmm. A lot of these issues went over my head. Yep. So in uh, Hong Kong in 11,021 A.D., Time ends up in disarray as a chronovore attacks, disrupting time, similar to the one that we saw back in All-Star Superman. Kronos is here because of the chronovore mucking around a time, and he is having a drink in a bar. 
but the drink and the person who he is drinking with keeps changing, even eventually shifting to the original Kronos, who at the time was unstuck in time. Jean Fox shows up, having taken a 30th century time sphere, and with some help from the Linear Men. The Linear Men are people who watch over the uh, timelines. And that includes Wave Rider, and uh, I'm blanking on his name. The guy who uh, Doctor Who play, Doctor Who sidekick plays. Ah, uh, shoot! And I, I promise I will not edit this to make me. Oh sound yeah, 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 that bro. Yeah. The British man who travels. Legends of Tomorrow, British man. That didn't bring up anything helpful, though. It did bring up how uh, they ran into J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, Rip Hunter. Yes, Rip Hunter. Anyways, Fox starts threatening Kronos and uh, puts on a time block so Kronos is unable to move through time using his normal technology. So Kronos starts pulling the gauntlets out of Tesseract space, which is something that's pretty frequently used in DC 1 million. Basically, it's infinite space in a limited amount of uh, area, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly, Scourge, who is an alien who is after the gauntlets, shows up. Fox tries to run away with the gauntlets, but Scourge is ready and stops him from being able to flee and destroys the time sphere that John Fox had taken, quickly losing their ways to deal with him. Kronos uh, hops himself and John Fox to London in 1969 as the Beatles are performing at Abbey Road Studios for their final time. Fox insists that they return and try and deal with Scourge, and he is waiting, ready to get the gauntlets and conquer all of time. And that's when uh, they hand over the gauntlets to him, and Kronos reveals that he tricked Scourge, who is now stuck in an infinite time loop, which was done using the uh, gauntlets. Kronos knew that Scourge was after a way to travel in time, and if he had uh, not found the gauntlets there he would have found a way that would have actually allowed him to travel in time which would have eventually allowed him to prevent superman from existing which would have made the entire universe much worse off but devin much so, happier why you hate superman devin he's just boring you're boring like look at me nothing can hurt me he can be hurt by things devin he can like be hurt glowing by magic. Green rock. magic good writers find ways to deal with him and it's not necessarily about him not being able to hurt, it's about him being able to be outsmarted. Nope. Anyways, Kronos leaves after getting a drink, uh, stranding John Fox in the Chronovore attack with limited uh, ways to get home until our man shows up, responding to a distress call that Kronos made for him. Back at Kronos' base, our man shows up when we find out that Kronos actually has the original time gauntlets, and... Uh, Scourge was trapped using fake ones, and Kronos wanted to keep the real gauntlets from John Fox because of events that would otherwise cause the destruction of the future. Our man, because he has the Whirlagog, last seen in Rock of Ages, knows that Kronos will eventually return the gauntlets when it is safe, but he also knows that they would be enemies again sometime soon. Kronos would soon go on to erase himself from history to make the world better. But uh, that's sort of the setup issue. It's one of those Chekhov's guns that uh, pays off later on. 
So the first issue of the actual series we have is DC 1 Million, number one, written by Grant Morrison with pencils by Val Semeckis, inks by Prentice Rollins, letters by Kenny Rawlings and Henry Lopez, with colors by Pat Carahy, and digital chameleon and heroic age on the separations. And I forgot how, like, important separations used to be with uh, producing comic art, especially before it was, or especially in the early days of it coming out digitally. Yeah. Back before you had higher quality printers. Uh, anyway, since our last Justice League story, which was when we covered Rock of Ages, the team has reformed with a larger membership, which consists of Aquaman, Batman, Flash, who is Wally West, Green Lantern, who is Kyle Rayner, Martian Manhunter, Superman, who is no longer electric, uh, Wonder Woman, who had still been Hippolyta for most of the time, uh, Huntress, who Batman brought on hoping that they'd bring out the good in her, Plastic Man, Steel, Big Barda, Orion, and Oracle. In that time, they faced Prometheus, the dangers of Julian September, a return of Adam Strange, and then they fought Starro the Conqueror with help from Neil Gaiman's Sandman, the second one. And at the end of that story, Wonder Woman, Diana, returned to the Justice League, replacing her mom, and that's when Justice Legion A showed up from the future, consisting of Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Flash, Aquaman, Starman, and Hourman. Just stick one millions at the end of their names. So any of these characters you need me to explain for you right now, Devin? Nope. Okay. So, three days in the future, we see Zariel, who is an actual angel from the Host of Heaven, because Hawkman was off the table at the time, and uh, Plastic Man returning to the satellite, because Zariel sensed something horrible has happened. And we soon see scenes of destruction, and Martian Manhunter saying that one million are dead. Oh, no, there's one more character I do want you to describe. Is Steel Shaquille yes. O'Neal from the hit movie Steel? That is who... Shaq Steel was based on. Oh, okay. Like, is that a legitimate question, or did you just want to mention Steel? Bit above. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, Steel is John Henry Irons, who uh, was one of the people who came forward as Superman when Superman was dead. Oh, okay. I mean, any chance to mention Shaq is a is a good moment. So we cut to three days ago, where the Justice League is meeting and talking about how weird it is that the future Justice League showed up, and that there is still a Justice League thousands of years in the future that's pretty much those very same members. Which, would you say that's weird? Just a tad. And they scan him, though, and except for John Fox, who is actually from the 27th century, and Our Man, who is an android... Uh, nothing is really too weird for them, and they invite them in. But when Our Man starts talking about the Whirlagog that he got from Metron, as seen in Rock of Ages, turns out that Barda isn't really happy, because as a new god, she doesn't really trust Metron, who was also one of the new gods, which is reasonable since we saw him being controlled by the anti-life equation in Rock of Ages, and he's generally very amoral and is just after the pursuit of knowledge. Starman goes on to explain how in the future, Justice Legion A each defends a different planet in the solar system, and they use star computers to store information, with Starman managing the second sun in the solar system, which is known as Solaris, which was last seen in All-Star Superman, who they mentioned used to be a villain, 
but who was reprogrammed by the 550th century Superman, who died in the process of doing that. They also mentioned that, after 100 centuries in the sun, the very first Superman, our Superman, who is also referred to as Superman Prime, is returning to Earth. Meanwhile, in Gotham, Oracle, who is Barbara Gordon, talks to Nightwing, since the aeroplane appeared over them, with uh, Arsenal, who is the sidekick to the original Green Arrow, likely being the person who took it, to work with his team of Titans. Because at the time, the Titans were no longer teens, and didn't want to go as Teen Titans. And also, as a reminder, the Green Arrow of this current time period is Oliver Queen's son, who was not his sidekick. Because comics continuity is confusing. Well, of course. And Oliver Queen's son had dropped out of being in the Justice League because he didn't think it was a good fit for him. Out in Opal City, Ted Knight, who was the original Starman back in the very, very early days of comics, is talking to Jay Garrick, who was the original Flash, about their legacies. At this time in the Starman series, Ted's son, well, Ted's second son, Jack, was out having space adventures, and that Starman series is all about legacies. That Starman series is really good, and part of me is looking at uh, trying to do a spinoff podcast on that. Luke, I don't know if you can handle more spinoff podcasts. What will you do for jobs? Well, it would be with you. I'm not saying with, with me, oh. I'm saying just in general. Oh. All podcasts all the time. It would probably come out at a slower pace. But if that's something that interests you, let me know on Google. Back on the moon, John Fox tries to convince Superman to come to the future because it is a show of his legacy and he promises that the heroes from the future will keep an eye on the world for the past heroes and mentions how our man has been working to make this a foolproof plan. They want the original heroes to come on and perform feats of strength and they mostly agree but Martian Manhunter decides to stay behind while the others plan to go. On the second day, Batman meets with Huntress, who is concerned about why she's on the team, and Batman really doesn't want to talk about it. He returns to the Batcave, where he runs into Batman 1 million. And Batman also didn't want to go into the future, but Batman uses Psychic Octopus Kung Fu to kick his spirit out of his body, which knocks out Batman and sends his spirit into the future. Steel and Wonder Woman meet and talk about how in the future... The Amazons have colonized Venus, Aquaman 1 million rules over Neptune, and Wonder Woman gives Steel her invisible jet to look over. And Wonder Woman is still adjusting because for a while she had been an actual goddess, but she's hopeful that things are going to keep on being cool. The teams meet up the next day at Mount Rushmore as Kyle Rayner and the future Starman fly there and mention how the Green Lantern ring went missing in the future. And as such, he is going to perform his challenges at Starman Citadel, which orbits Uranus, which Wally <laughs> must find hilarious. Superman and Superman 1 million meet up and stop a prison escape slash riot. And Superman 1 million mentions that how without the Super Sun, he is losing his weird, like, millionth generation powers. And that he's used to fighting with other supermen from across time, like the time that he fought the Chronivore with the Superman squad, just like an all-star Superman. Superman 1 million then uses his super ESP to calm the riot, and they both fly off. Meanwhile, in northern Mongolia, the Titans, who are Arsenal, Supergirl, Jesse Quick, who is a speedster, and Tempest, who was Garth, who was formerly Aqualad, who has water control powers, are watching the auction of Red Rocket Warsuits. 
Red Rocket was a Soviet superhero powered by nuclear energy and was a member of Justice League International, and he was part of a team of Red Rockets. Vandal Savage, the immortal caveman, shows up and offers $3 billion for all of the suits, and the Titans decide to react. Did they take that cashola, Luke? Yes, they did. That's what they should do. Well, did who take the cashola? It's in the Titans, I want to know. That's what they should have gone for. Oh, no. I know. No. They're teens. They need that cash, Luke. Think how many trips to the mall that pays for. No, they're just Titans. Oh, you're right. They're no longer teens, Devin. That's just why they go by. T- that's why they just go by Titans. Fine, they're young adults who need the money now more than ever. Now that they have to pay rent. Celebrate the sale. The weapon dealer offers Vandal Savage a bottle of Chateau Latif Rothschild 1847, which. Vandal Savage being old enough knows the sound of it being poured because he's an immortal caveman with expert taste. As the Titans attack Savage, he reveals that he is always ready for this shit, so he has a hypersonic pin that's able to stop speedsters, he catches Arsenal's neuroscrambler arrow and throws out Supergirl, knocking her out. Tempest tries to save her by using water, but he electrocutes him, and he grabs Arsenal without like any struggle and knocks him out and has the super teens put into the red rocket suits and he remarks that the one is dreadful because that is what you do with a power move mm-hmm. i actually tried to look up the price for a bottle of this wine and i'm assuming it's somewhere in the hundred thousand dollar range and that's like 98 dollars so power move for sure as the last of the heroes arrive at Mount Rushmore, they are told that they should only need to stay as long as their contest is and are expected to return at about 10 seconds, and all of them, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, and Batman, who is not physically there, are flung into the future. Time passes, but when Our Man tries to bring them back, his robot system is invaded and he releases a virus from the future that affects organic beings and computers. Oracle quickly shuts down her communication with the Watchtower, leaving them stranded in space, and Steele asks about what happened to our Justice League. Meanwhile, in 85-271 on Mars, the solar system is ready for the competition, and the return of the original Superman Prime. News speaks of rogue bizarros that may have replaced our heroes from the past, and Vandal Savage, still alive, toast to Solaris about the discovery that will soon come from the Night Fragment. Savage drinks another glass of Chateau Latif Rothschild 1847, finding it sweeter as he toasts to Solaris, who is ready for his revenge, where he will destroy the Superman dynasty forever! Dun, dun, dun! Also, I want to comment. I, I don't think that uh, Morrison is, ne- is like really a big... Well, I, I'm not entirely sure what, how much Morrison knows about wine, but that wine is like over 83,000 years old. I don't think that it is good to drink at all. Oh, probably not. Like, no, like even with, uh, wait, no, no, I, I might comment that I could see Vandal Savage being a guy who has like one of those fancy ass wine fridges. Oh, for sure. You know, like my uh, landlord used to have? Yeah. So, yeah. Also, that's not true, actually. I lied. I do know a lot about wine. 
I had the greatest of vineyards in the game, board game Viticulture, where you create your own vineyards. <laughs> I won. Well, you know about my wine taste, right, Devin? Franzia. Boxed wine and uh, ceramist. Yeah, so Franzia. Shame, Gria. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we then follow up with DC 1 million number two. On that third day, Blue Beetle Ted Cord lands in Montevideo, which is where the rocket red containing Garth exploded. And we find the Justice Legion A waiting there. And fun fact, Devin, Montevideo is the capital of Uruguay, and it is very real. Nice. Did you, did you know that previously? I did not. Yeah, it, it, it's weird that, like, Morrison picked a real place for, like, this horrible thing to happen. Anyways, uh, Blue Beetle plays a uh, clip where Our Man explains how Solaris sent him back in time with a virus which he released, and his time powers aren't working. And we find out that in 24 hours, the virus will destroy the minds of them and everybody they come into contact with. And John Fox doesn't have his time gauntlets to go back to the future because of da-da-da-da! Kronos, who stole them in Kronos 1 million. Which I think is very neat that they spent the time to explain that reason. Oh, yeah. No, this is like a really well thought out and planned uh, crossover. Yeah, like especially compared to a lot of crossover shit that we get nowadays. Oh, yeah. Really, Dan Slott's the only one who keeps it together. Well, and that I feel is easier because it's just the Spider line of books typically. Oh, yeah. Or just the New York books. No, I agree. He definitely has a lot less trouble, but every tie-in at least always feels like it's actually contributing to the story. It's not just we need a tie-in for tie-in's sake. Exactly. Anyways, Superman 1 million's powers are quickly fading, and the team worries about how the past Justice League and the future will fare against Solaris, the tyrant's son. Martian Manhunter, though, believes that the team will find a way. On the Watchtower, Steel is pretty angry about being stuck in space because he's got a daughter. And Big Barda enforces the fact that those five who are stuck in space, Barda, Steel, Plastic Man, Zoriel, and Huntress, must stay uninfected. The rest of the team tries to talk him down, including Plastic Man, who points out that the only black member of the team can't quit. And Zoriel insists that they can't uh, choose to look solely after those who are closest to them. Which means that they're going to need to make a time machine. In Gotham, Ray Palmer, the Atom, goes to visit Oracle, who is infected with the virus, which he finds out is a molecular machine. And back in Montevideo, Firestorm and the Ray, who are dealing with the radiation, show up, and Firestorm, being affected by the virus, which is making him paranoid, wants to fight the Justice Legion A, which the Justice Legion is easily able to stop. But the pair won't stop fighting until Martian Manhunter and Blue Beetle return. Manhunter is barely controlling the virus due to his shape-changing DNA and insists that they all must work together. Meanwhile, in the Vanishing Point, which is the end of time, oh. the Linear Men meet, who consist of Wave Rider, Leary Lee, Rip Hunter, and Matthew Ryder. Uh, unfortunately, due to hypertime, everything is in chaos, and so they set their controls to head to the 20th century to try and fix things. Are you familiar with Hypertime, Devin? Nope. So you know how they keep updating uh, Iron Man's background to fit with whatever war it would make sense for? Yeah. And man, isn't it great that we're so easily able to do that? That's what Hypertime is. It's oh, It's basically okay. 
whatever you need to have had happened that happened in the past still happened, but only when you needed to. Yeah, we're about to run into an issue relatively soon about how that's actually not going to work for every character. Like AKA, Magneto? Mostly just Magneto. Well, they've de-aged him before. No, that's true. Yeah, I mean, the X-Men turned him into a baby, but yeah. there is still a point. Because, like, Cap, it's easy enough. You can just keep freezing him for longer. Mm-hmm. Just keep freezing, just keep freezing, 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 just keep freezing. Meanwhile, back in Washington, D.C., General Wade Eiling wants to use his Ultramarine Corps to fight Justice Legion A. But he is turned down by the president, and that is when Vandal Savage appears on the screen. He planned to destroy Washington, D.C., but the Hourman virus changed the target of his attack. Luckily, he still has three more rocket red suits, and he will use them to disrupt the world. And after that, he will be in charge. Arsenal tries to fight Vandal Savage, but he is knocked back into his suit, and he is sent to destroy Metropolis. Because Vandal Savage will destroy his enemies by turning the children into weapons, since he is the future, and he launches his three remaining suits. And I like how it is a super, super villain plot for this. Oh, yeah. Putting all these uh, former sidekicks into nuclear bombs, essentially. Classic move. It is a power move. We then cut to Superman, Man of Steel, One Million, which was plotted by Carl Kessel, with the dialogue by Jerry Ordway, penciled by Anthony Williams, inks by Dennis Janke, letters by Ken Lopez, colors by John Callises, and separations by Digital Chameleon. At LexCon, the team is trying to figure out what is going on when they stumble onto Blue Beetle's video, the Monty video Fallout, with Justice Legion A posing around their destruction and the images of the Legion fighting Firestorm and the Ray, before Vandal Savage's video shows up, with the uh, three remaining targets being named Brussels, Singapore, and Metropolis, which... Brussels and Singapore, I'm not entirely sure if those are super big targets. No, not really. Yeah. Brussels, maybe just to make a point. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the people there are six foot tall and full of muscles. Oh, basically. And they'll just smile and hand you a Vegemite sandwich. Well, I guess also, too, if you want to do it for the Belgium standpoint, is that that invasion of Belgium is what started uh, World War Two. Maybe he's trying that to bring works. up some history lessons. Well, we do find out that he previously helped out Hitler. So. Well, that's true. Vandal Savage is not a nice dude. As uh, Jimmy Olsen is watching this on his computer, he quick he and the rest of the Lexcom staff are quickly infected by the Hourman virus. At the time, Lex Luthor owned most of the businesses, including Daily Planet and GNC, which had been turned into Lexcom. Uh, they quickly become paranoid of the Justice Legion A, and this idea is supported when the Metal Men show up, and we haven't seen the Metal Men in a while. They are a group of robots made of metal with personalities, and they are created by Doc Magnus. They consist of Platinum, who goes by Tina, Iron, Tin, Mercury, and their boss Doc Magnus, who became Viridium, which is a type of alien metal. They are infected with the virus, but nobody knows it, and they want to stop Superman 1 million from stopping the bomb, which nobody knows is remote-controlled, or that it has an innocent hero inside of it. Superman 1 million lands, and the Metal Men immediately start attacking him. And he's easily destroying them because he's Superman, and literally almost every Metal Men story ends with them being horribly destroyed, only to be rebuilt before the next issue. 
But Platinum shows up and makes it seem like Superman 1 million is ruthlessly hunting them down and killing them as opposed to him trying to defend himself, which the people are willing to accept because they have the virus. Jimmy Olsen, meanwhile, has been keeping an eye on Doc Magnus, who is knocked out. Back on the street, the Metal Men join together to form Alloy, and Superman tries to reason with them, but it doesn't work, so he rips out their responsometers, essentially their hearts and what powers them. And that's when Doc Magnus shows up and notes that they were corrupted by the virus, and that Superman is there to do good, and the only reason he wasn't changed was because he is made out of alien metal. And the other Metal Men noticed that and attacked him, which knocked him out. Superman returns the responsometers to Doc Magnus so he's able to study the virus, and Superman realizes that they can't resolve it fast enough, and they're going to need to create a solar computer. They're going to need to create Solaris, the Tyrant's Son! Magnus heads off to do his work, and Superman borrows Platinum's flying platform and finds arsenal of the Teen Titans inside of the rocket red suit. Savage watching attacks Superman, thinking that he has been destroyed, but Superman survives, and we see him riding the Rocket Red down like Slim Pickens in Doctor Strangelove. How's that for a movie reference, Devin? It was a good movie reference. It also took me forever to get that name, because I wasn't sure if Slim Pickens was the name of the character or the actor. Uh, and okay. I was stuck with... Horrible internet this weekend. Do you know the name of the character that Slim Pickens played in Doctor Strangelove? No. It's Corporal King Kong, I believe. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in ages. I was going to say, it's been a while for me, too. That brings us next to Superman 1 Million, which was written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, with art by Norm Greyfogle, inks by Scott Koblish, friend of the show and recent birthday boy. With letters by John Costanza, colors by John Callis, and separations by Digital Chameleon. Superman is able to rip Arsenal from the suit and then capture it in a gravity bubble to contain the blast, but he is running out of powers as he crashes through the city. When he lands, he is affronted by a local mob, and as his powers fade from him, Arsenal luckily saves him with some trick arrows. Lois Lane shows up, as do the police, and Arsenal offers to let them go while he deals with the cops, so Superman leaps away with Lois in his arms. At LexCorp, Luther sees the chaos, but he also sees that his own daughter is infected with the virus, because this was a really weird era for Lex Luthor. Superman 1 million gets some clothes to hide in and explains that there are 24 hours until civilization collapses, so he needs to get to LexCom to stop it by building the sentient sun. And Lois, working at LexCom, tries introducing him as Clark's cousin. And that's when Superman 1 million realizes that they are going to need to go into the Fortress of Solitude. Luther, not being a super idiot, figured out that this is Superman 1 million, though. And for once, he actually offers his help with getting the technology that he needs and getting to the Fortress of Solitude, which Lois is suspicious of. But Superman 1 million just plans to wipe everybody's memories afterwards so they don't remember it. Classic Men in Black power move. And they get the Fortress of Solitude, but he doesn't register as Kryptonian enough because there have been several thousand years of Superman uh, genetic mix-ups in there, so he is unable to get in, especially with his limited powers. Luther's men try to break in with weapons, but they are routed, and Superman wipes their memories afterwards. Back at LexCorp Labs, 
Luther, being driven mad by the virus, tries to kill Superman 1 million to find the genetic code inside of him that he thinks will have the solution and attacks. And Superman 1 million uses the last of his energy again for an electromagnetic pulse, but it only partially solves the problem. He prepares to flee from the last of them, but they reach a locked door. Superman isn't able to automatically solve the key code and reflects on what he has sunk into, but eventually gets it and they escape. He realizes that they will need to coordinate their efforts to find the rest of the tech that he needs, along with getting some blood from Lois, but for now, they will head to the JLA base. We next head to Superboy 1 million, which sort of crosses over with Superman 1 million uh, in that the events are summed up, but I think it's a fun uh, issue nonetheless. It was written and inked by Carl Kessel with Tom Grummet on pencils, Bud Setzer on colors, and Comicraft on the letters. Superboy 1 million tries to reach the Fortress of Solitude in the future, but it is too low for him to, uh, but it is too deep for him to get into, so he uses the futuristic version of Brother Eye to power him up like he is Omac, the one-man army corps, and he breaks through the ice, and they retrieve what he was looking for, and brings it back to the rest of Justice Legion S, which is a Justice Legion made of Superboys, most of them who are Superboy, Omac, uh, combinations. Are you familiar with Omac, Devin? Nope. Uh, so Omac was one of the characters who Jack Kirby created, when he uh, came back to DC, and it's pretty much what if Captain America wasn't always uh, Captain America, and he was powered up like a Hydra and... agent. No, more of like a uh, Power Ranger. Oh, okay. And so he was the One Man Army Corps. But uh, we find out from the ice that they have discovered the Guardian, who was another old Jack Kirby creation who was frozen in ice, just like Captain America, and similarly fought with a shield. Though Guardian, if I recall, actually came before Captain America. But never was as big, because until Kirby brought it back, he wasn't really touched on all that much. Because Rara America. Anyways, they revive the Guardian, and he wakes up, and we find out that this Superboy, our main one, is the One Million Superboy clone, and they are from the futuristic version of Project Cadmus, which has survived into the future under the guidance of Million X, a futuristic version of Double X. If you've watched uh, the Young Justice series, you'd know Double X from that. I have not. It's got moments. The second season is much better. Anyways, they want to consult the Guardian on what happened to Justice Legion A when they went back in time. Back when Superboy, the original one, was still a field agent. Unfortunately, Guardian doesn't remember at the time, so Million X uses his temporal telepathy to jog his memories as Guardian starts to recall. Superboy, in the past, was delivering a package, which was a collectible Dr. Seuss model kit for Dr. Serling Rocket that she ordered from Knight's Past, which was the store that Jack Knight who was Starman at this time, previously owned. Uh, Superboy, trying to show up, balanced her Sugar and Spike lunchbox, a callback to an old DC comic using his tactile telekinesis, and ended up activating the genetic scanner that was inside of it. At the time, Colonel Adam Winterbone reappeared with Dabney Donovan. Dabney Donovan was a mad scientist who created the Harrys, which were the hyper-advanced hippies from... The Jack Kirby Superman run. Sadly not a member of Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. 
No. Uh, he also co-founded the Cadmus Project and also created the DN Aliens, like Double X. And he has agreed to come back and work with them again. Unfortunately, the Hourman virus strikes at this time, infecting everybody. Winterborn orders a lockdown, but he is told that he is unable to do it, since at this time Cadmus is being kept a secret. And they decide to send in Superboy with the genetic scanner duct taped to his arm to try and get a reading on this virus. And he gets into Metropolis and is hunting the virus, but uh, Superman 1 million shows up to talk to him. He ends up needing access to Cadmus, and while Superboy is suspicious, uh, Superman 1 million uses his Super ESP to share images with him from the future and the past. Unfortunately, because Superboy 1 million is looking back with the help of Million X at this time, the powers used open up a rift in the timeline, which ends up connecting Superboy in the past and the future where they are looking, creating a chrono vortex that threatens to rip him apart! Superboy 1 million focuses his powers to re-energize Superboy in the past, allowing him to escape, but as a result they lose the feed and Million X refuses to reopen it, losing any hope of finding out what happened in the past. Except that now Guardian remembers it all. They gave Superman 1 million the atomic ionizer in the past, which he needed, and he flew off to do his work. And then, uh, in things relating to the Superboy comic at the time, Winterborn announced his plan to reveal Cadmus's existence as a way to save the project. Because if nobody knew what they were doing, their funding could be cut any time, which Guardian wasn't happy about, but he went along with for the time being. Which just goes to show... Make sure that you're aware of scientific research that the government is doing, because that's one of the best ways that we get innovation. Too true. now and in the past. Mm-hmm. We then head into our Batman wing for this episode that will wrap us up. At first, we have Batman Shadow of the Bat, number one million, which was scripted by Alan Grant, with pencils by Mark Buckingham, inks by Wayne Foucher, colors by Pam Rambo, Separations by Android Images, and Letters by Clem Robbins. Batman 1 million is in the past dealing with criminals, and the police are feeling the effects of the Hourman virus, but are trying to work through it and ignore it. They are able to make a trail of where Batman is headed, and Gordon demands that they bring him in. Batman 1 million, meanwhile, is headed to the Batcave, but there are no descriptions of where it is, so after he breaks into the files at Wayne Corps, he figures that it must be at Wayne Manor. Which... I can't believe he had to physically go there and figure that out. Like, right? If you knew who Bruce Wayne was, you should have been able to put that together. Especially after a brag that he makes later on, but we'll get to that later. So the police chase after him, but he gets away only to run into a mugging, and then he has a flashback. Previously, a villain on Pluto released The Laughing Gas, which was a self-replicating software that caused the prisoners on Pluto, which at the time is pretty much Space Arkham Asylum, to be released. The leader of the prisoners, Zaron, who was a bat-looking alien, took over and forced the prison staff and families to come in, and then he killed all the parents, leaving the children alive. One children took a vow to get vengeance on the 15,000 children there, and he became Batman 1 million. So it's pretty uh, much out of Batman. The, out of the 15,000, Luke. What did I say? On... The 15,000 children. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So One that, child that, that is not how I remember that issue going, but... <laughs> uh, yes. So out of the 
So it's basically Bruce Wayne's origin times 15,000. Yes. Back in the past, Batman uh, stops the mugger, but Gordon was able to catch up to him. And since this was post-Nightfall, Gordon is suspicious about another person wearing the Batman costume. And the Hourman virus is making it worse. Batman recognizes this and leaves, and Gordon calls Nightwing in for help. And we see that uh, Zoran has been narrated to this entire issue. And he's still on Pluto, and when he finishes listening to the tape, it cuts out before his secret identity is revealed, and then Batman 1 million showed up to beat up everyone and capture them in Tesseract space. Like, the framing story did not make a lot of sense. No, it did not. We then move to Nightwing 1 million, which was written by Chuck Dixon, with pencils by Scott McDaniel, inks by Carl Sorry, colors by Robetta Tweez, separations by Jameson, and letters by John Costanza. Batman 1 million fought Nightwing and started attacking him because he understood it to be the custom of the era when two superheroes meet. And he ended up hitting Nightwing with his Batarangs, which are actually Data Rings, which captured Nightwing's genetic code because rude. Uh, this is after Cataclysm, which was the big earthquake that hit Gotham as well. So all of Gotham City was in chaos. Nightwing explains how he was called in to look and find out what was up with Batman 1 million. And they talk about how Batman works on Pluto. Batman asks if everybody on the planet wears masks, as they see a group of people in masks and hard hats extracting a safe from the ground. They end up attacking the trio, which are revealed to be Sly Fox, who is just a thief, and Query and Echo, who are former Riddler henchwomen, who are trying to steal the casino vault. As the fighting intensifies, the vault is lost in the water, and the criminals are left bound and tied up to be arrested by the police and they head to the Batcave hoping to prevent the Earth from becoming a chaotic place just like Pluto. And this brings us to our final issue of this episode. Detective Comics 1 Million, written by Chuck Dixon with pencils by Greg Land, inks by Drew Grirachi, colors by Gloria Vasquez, separations by Android, and letters by John Costanza. Batman 1 Million has made it to the Batcave and has run into Robin, who was Tim Drake at the time, and Alfred. And Nightwing is also still there. Batwing needs Tim's help with robotics and accessing the computers. And apparently the Batcomputer at this time has a processor that runs 100 petabytes. Which, that is literally 11,415 years of high-definition video that that thing could store in data nice like they are making up some bullshit computer numbers at this time and batman 1 million is like oh yeah well i have a hundred or i have 10 times that duty or i have 10 times that computing power in my suit alone which is an exabyte so devin the monthly global traffic in 2004 was an exabyte the library of congress like the collections of digital audio, visual, and data materials, mm -hmm. is 3 to 50 petabytes, which means that you could theoretically hold every song that's ever been recorded digitally and even convert all those, like, old albums and, like, mixtapes or, like, relatives' shitty rap albums that they make you buy Hell yeah. in a lossless format and still have enough space. Like, that is how big they're making these numbers, which is... Hilarious. Anyways. Batman uh, needs Batman, his jams. Yeah. 
<sighs> Maybe Batman's like uh, baby driver. Was... You'll understand when you see it. Oh, I, I want to see it. That's how he but drives yeah, no, the Batmobile to... so well. I was trying to figure out these numbers, and it's just like crazy go nuts. Anyways, Batman hooks up the system to his digital network, which is increasing his computing strength, but he is unable to close the network to hide it from the virus. And meanwhile in the town, Firefly is leading an attack. Firefly is a guy who dresses up like a firefly, but he lights things on fire instead of just lighting them out bright. And so they go and attack him in the Bat Monster truck, and Firefly has an army of people who are paranoid who are fighting with him. Back at the base, Batman 1 million also has a digital clone working on the computers trying to solve the problem. The Bat family is handling the attack well enough until someone on fire runs into the Bat truck and blows it up, which ends up shaking everybody out of their rage, and Batman 1 million catches Firefly because he's able to fly. And the digital Batman clone of Batman 1 million has also realized that just like Superman 1 million realized, they're going to need to create Solaris, the Tyrant's Son! And that wraps us up for this first episode. So, a lot of stuff going on there. We've got the setup, we've got the premise, we know what's happening in the past with our future characters. And next time, we will touch on that a bit more before going into what's happening in the future with our past characters. So, uh... Yeah, I am sort of out of breath because we just covered uh, Wonder Woman uh, before this episode. But later this week on Wednesday, we will be releasing our second episode of DC One Million. Uh, make sure to come back. Make sure to tell your friends that we are finally doing this. Make sure to maybe please donate on Patreon and leave us comments. Uh, Devin, where can people find you online? You can find me online at Fred Fett, that's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T, and Luke, where can people find you? You can find me online at at Coltrick, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. We are also online as MultiversalQ on Twitter. You can email us at MultiversalQ at gmail.com. And we have a lot of other systems that you can contact us on. MZ is being shut down, so unfortunately that will no longer be one of them, but that may remind me to update the Facebook Yes, we do have a Facebook that you can follow if you like getting your updates that way. And I don't think we've had our Tumblr updating automatically because it no longer updates automatically. But that wraps us up for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. We will see you next week as we continue our coverage of DC 1 million. Until then, this one's for Hank. 1 million. Peace. He didn't make it there, though, Luke. What? Oh. Because he was dead. Oh. Good. Peace.